the Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports. Today's edition of the Spot Track Podcast is brought to you by SpotTrack.com. Subscribe to the newsletter. Subscribe to this podcast. Check out SpotTrack.com today for plenty of articles coming at a faster rate than we've ever written. I'm uh, I'm in NFL off-season mode. Keith Smith's in NFL in-season mode, trade deadline mode, and already sliding towards NBA off-season mode. He's uh, he's working fast, and he's writing feverishly for us, and we appreciate that. So plenty to look at at SpotTrack.com. Check that out today. My name is Mike Gennetti. Happy Sunday. Happy Week 18 of the NFL. Plenty of things kind of broke as we expected. We are going to talk some NFL playoffs today. I'm going to break down the AFC playoff teams in depth. How they started the year, what happened inside this season, how it looks for next year, some future storylines for all seven of those teams, projected cap space, where they ranked in cash in 2022, and uh, just an overarching deep dive analysis of all seven of those AFC playoff teams. And then best available Major League Baseball free agents, kind of positionally speaking, one player at each position that I think is at least worth talking about, worth signing, some possible destinations for all of them. And uh, look, we're getting there. Middle of January is about the uh, the crescendo that leads us into pitchers and catchers reporting, preseason baseball, a couple of late signings, maybe a couple of late trades as teams figure out who the heck they are, and then we're off and rolling April 1st. So we're at the tail end, but there's still some names out there, and I, talk, I touch on that at the back end of this show. The NFC playoff teams, by the way, next episode I'll have a full deep dive on all seven of those. And then we'll uh, push into some gambling stuff and uh, plenty more this weekend as we approach week 19, the postseason for the 2022 NFL season. With the AFC rankings now set for the 2022 NFL playoffs, we will break down quickly some cash info, some storyline info, some future storyline info with each of the seven teams from the AFC, starting with the Chiefs, who mathematically secured the number one seed due to win percentage and a slight edge over the Buffalo Bills. We all know that story. I'm not going to dive into it. It was the probably the best move the NFL could have done in this situation. Not going to argue it because I really don't have a better option. So the Chiefs get the buy. They were the 24th highest cash payroll this year. That may surprise some of you. Um, but look, they let Tyron Matthew walk. They let Tyree Kill walk and via trade. Those two things alone probably dropped them 12 spots. Perfectly frankly, right? Especially if Tyree Kill was in the market for 28 million plus, secured 30, et cetera, et cetera. They definitely traded three for one, really in both cases here. And there were draft picks and free agent signings to replace both. That was the storyline. That was the offseason storyline for the Chiefs that it appeared that they had weakened themselves and here they are with the number one seed in the AFC. So the in-season storyline is pretty clear. Patrick Mahomes is still the king. And you can say that statistically speaking with 5,200 yards, 40 touchdowns again. You can say that with an eye test. We saw some razzle-dazzle as we're going to see every year with this guy. And you can say it just because until he does something to prove that he's not, he is. And that's no knock to Josh Allen, to Jalen Hurts, to any of these other quarterbacks that are clearly, you know, in an upper echelon tier, especially this this season alone. But this guy's the king. He's got the number one seed. 
is going to win the MVP. He's going to bag himself an extra $1.25 million for that award. And it's onward and upward for Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs. The other storyline, in season, uh, that O-line, that was a problem that Super Bowl year. Clearly, right? There were a couple of injuries, and they had nothing left in the tank. They had no surplus, no additional bodies to offer, and it cost them a Super Bowl. They did a lot of work on it the past two off-seasons, and it's worked. That is a above-average, more-than-sufficient offensive line. But it leads me to a future storyline, which is Orlando Brown Jr., who's on a franchise tag right now. Didn't have the greatest overall year, but he's the linchpin now to this successful offensive line as a whole unit. So do you play with fire? Do you tick this guy off? And by the way, we have proof that this guy can get rattled because his role, the financial offers that were coming in from Baltimore, he was making very public about his discontent with that. And it got him to trade it to Kansas City pretty quickly. So if Kansas City doesn't tread lightly with this, that could be the case again. The difference, he's in the number one seed, right, for the second year in a row. He knows he's in a good situation. Is it a second tag? Is it a multi-year extension? There's clearly some uh, financial give and takes here with this roster, and they've got some team-friendly contracts. This guy's going to be looking for top-of-the-market bag, you know, $25, $24 million per year. At one point in time, he did value at that based on age, based on productivity in the ceiling. He's not quite there right now, but you know that's how agents operate. There's a top of the mountain, and this guy is close enough to get there, so he should get there. That's a fascinating watch this offseason. That's definitely one of the future storylines. Maybe even more interesting is Chris Jones on the other side of the ball, who had himself another great year. He's almost in, in the Mahomes category where we, we know this guy's great, so consistently, so annually that we kind of forget about him. He was outstanding. Bagged himself some incentives. And uh, this guy's going to need about $30 million a year. He's at the right age to get redone here. It's a, it's, a, it's a contract year in 2023. He's just the next guy up here. So even just mathematically speaking in our system, he's about $29, 30000000 million per year. So does he take it down to the 26-27 mark in the TJ Watt zone? He's a DT. And you know how it works with the defensive tackles. We got, a, we got a bunch of guys in the 18 to 20 mark, and then we got Aaron Donald sitting at 31. So at some point in time, he's going to bridge that gap. How high does he get? How close does he get to Aaron Donald? Remains to be seen. But I'm telling you right now, productivity-wise, he's up there. He, he can definitely vie for that this offseason. And then, of course, you know, the guy who kind of stepped into the biggest role to replace Tyreek Hill, Juju Smith-Schuster, he had a fine year. Bagged himself four, four and a half million of incentives. He's on the, an expiring contract, headed for free agency. You know, MVS was MVS. He's not going to be a true WR1 in the system. I don't think Kansas City believes they need a superstar, and they, they proved it to themselves this year. But they need above average. They need, you know... Uh, somebody with a brain, somebody obviously with athletic ability to get away from people, get down the field still, and uh, you know, be creative along with the mind that is Patrick Mahomes. Juju has shown that over the past two seasons. Do they bring him back on a one-year deal again, or do they have to go multi-year to bring him back? My guess is they have to go a little bit more formal with this next contract if they want to keep that player, and why wouldn't they? Because the wide receiver market is not the best. So my assessment is there's probably three big contracts coming this offseason in Kansas City. 
which when you factor in the Kelsey one and the Mahomes one, et cetera, it's going to add up. It's going to be big time pay for this number one seed. Buffalo's pretty well locked in already, not only to the two seed, but also contractually speaking. They did a lot of work over the past three off seasons and uh, notably, notably this past off season, Stefan Diggs and Dawson Knox got new contracts and the big free agent signing was Vaughn Miller to Buffalo. Yes, it, uh, it fizzled out here with his injury. That's going to keep him out the rest of the season. But there's three more fully guaranteed years based on how that thing is structured for these two sides to uh, make an impact together. So it worked, you know, until that injury set in. It was working. It was successful. You could see the reasoning behind it. You could see why he picked this team. It's, it's a more reduced role, a little less stress, a little less wear and tear. Yes, he still got injured, but I, I think this is going to be a, a really good marriage, at least for two, three seasons here, as the contract sort of aligns with that. The in-season storylines, I, I don't even know what else to say. Uh, it's adversity, <laughs> right? There were some local community situations with the, uh, the mass shooting that the Bills were a big-time, uh, you, know, you know, positive st- statement, positive help with, uh, but that was in-season. We had, obviously, the snowstorm. Two of them, really. One that impacted an official game that had to get took a home game away, and uh, and then of course the Demar Hamlin situation, which is ongoing, but taking positive strides. So all of that plus more, plus the things we don't know about inside those locker rooms that you know happen in every single team, and they're the, still the odds-on favorite to win the whole, them in the Super Bowl right now, right today. Just looked a second ago. So you got to give them credit because. People don't just believe in the roster. They believe in the culture that has been created in Buffalo and that has been now shown and exercised multiple times. So it's a credit to them. It's hard not to root for that team. Um, I stay as biased as possible, possible, but like I said, when the community here has gone through what they've gone through, you are, you are rooting for these humans and then collectively as one team. The future storylines. There's a Jordan Poyer decision. He was banged up. He played, you know, pretty darn hurt this season and was still pretty darn productive. Now, he didn't get the payouts he was hoping for with that restructured incentive contract. He's going to need a bag, you know, not top of the market, not 18, 19, 20 million, but he's going to need 12 to 14. And that might be more than Brandon Bean is willing to go. So there's a situation where he walks into free agency. You know, DeMar Hamlin's return is obviously a major question mark. So that's right off the bat, two safeties. Micah Hyde was injured all of this season. Can he return to full health? He's in his early 30s. He's, he'll be entering a contract here next season. So immediately, there's a, uh, there's a deficiency in, in the secondary, barring a, a late four-year extension here, which I don't expect. So that's got to be addressed, whether it's keep, keep what we have and, and just roll with it and, and pay to go or address it in the draft and or free agency or both. I think a little of all that can happen because of the window they're in right now, because they are literally competing at the top of this mountain right now. So I expect most of these things to just happen in sync, but we'll see. You never know. Tremaine Edmonds is right there in this conversation. He was a no for me two years ago for an extension. I think he was a no for me last offseason, even though you started to see a turner around. He's played out his fifth-year option. He might be a transition or franchise tag candidate. That might be the best approach for Buffalo, that, though that's not a flexible cap approach, and they are in the negatives right now. Um, but that's something to talk about. There's no question about it. He is, he is making plays on the field that he wasn't making a couple of years ago. 
Is he an $18 million linebacker? I don't believe so. I think he's going to have to take around that Matt Milano price, $11, $12 million. And if he thinks he, he deserves or can get more than that somewhere else and he'll be happy to, to leave this organization, then free agency will be his, his motive outside of a tag. But uh, certainly some defensive question marks on, uh, for Buffalo heading into the offseason, but and not yet. Not yet. They are the number two seed. Cincinnati, the, uh, the third seed in the AFC. They've got about $47 million of cap space right now for 2023. They were 30th in cash payroll this year. That's going to change. Um, the offseason storyline heading coming into 2022 was how do we start to fix this whole line? They did. They brought in a center. They brought in a right guard. It, it wasn't, you know, immediately what they were hoping for, but they're going to have to keep at this thing. There's no question about it that one of their future storylines is continue the O-line work. you got to keep Joe Burrow. Because Joe Burrow is not going to not going to change his style. He's going to be a thirty to thirty five sack player because he's simply not going to extend plays like so many quarterbacks do now that make it easier on their offensive lines. It's a tough sell, but clearly that's the player that Joe Burrow is, and, and they're going to have to build a roster accordingly around that. And it's not going to be one great free agency. It's going to have to be in probably an annual tradition left for, for that Cincinnati front office is to keep it. Young, fast, plentiful, and deep. You're going to have to have six to seven bodies at all times that can handle a role on that, on that offensive line. So that's, a, that's an offseason, an in-season, and a future storyline for Cincinnati. And uh, the only other two things here are, A, entering 2022, we had a, a franchise tag holdout in Jesse Bates, again, a, a safety in the secondary. Do they pay him? Do they double tag him? Do they pay him? Does he walk? Because that's a big hole to fill. Now, they drafted a player last year, sort of in succession with Jesse Bates turning down his franchise tag. They may have to do that again as depth and or find, you know, an option on the open market that is at least somewhat cheaper than what Bates is looking for, which is going to be in that 15 to 16 range. It's just how the age and, this, and the position is working right now. So it's, there's a chance they'll have a big, big hole there to fill and may have to go young to get there because... That 30th payroll is not going to be the case going forward. Both Joe Burrow and T. Higgins are up for extensions this offseason. Doesn't mean they have to do it, but it's hard to imagine Joe Burrow entering 2023 without a huge contract. So at least one of those two is getting done this offseason. And then, oh, by the way, this time next year, Jamar Chase becomes extension eligible. So they know what's in front of them. They know how much it's going to cost. It's just a matter of timing, staggering, and obviously allocating that cash and cap properly to keep this roster in contention, which they've done a nice job over the past couple of seasons. Jacksonville wins the AFC South. They are now the fourth seed. They were ninth in payroll this year. That may surprise some of you. Jacksonville being top 10 in cash. They're negative 20 in cap next year. <laughs> so uh, those big free agent contracts that they had, and there were six pretty good size ones. This is the year, 2023. They were second year big time cap numbers. So expect a ton of restructures because for the most part, those contracts hit, you know, the Christian Kirk one that had us all up in the air on Twitter, it hit and it's pretty good value. Not only did it hit on a base value, he made two of his incentives, three of his incentives actually. So he outplayed that contract pretty much immediately and 18 million a year now for a, a number one option in your roster is nothing. It's 12 million less than the top guy, Tyreek Hill aforementioned. So uh, I, I really like the, the approach that was taken here. Obviously, I like the coaching change. That had to happen with the disaster that was 2021. Uh, you can see that there's now an adult in the room, that the things are coming together like they should. 
in a professional roster and players that were there, you can see the, the improvement, especially in Trevor Lawrence, though it was inconsistent at times. And the, the new players, you could see how that was able to gel and fit way quick, way quicker than the last couple iterations of Jaguars off seasons have gone. So it was a major step forward. I don't know if they're going to you know, survive any kind of round in this, in this postseason. That remains to be seen. But a huge step forward for this organization. And, you know, they might have been a year away already. So this might be gravy right now. And one more year for Trevor Lawrence. And by the way, he'll be extension eligible after next year. So it'd be a pretty good year to fully break out with a roster that has been set up nicely and really just needs a couple of linebackers and maybe a couple more out, uh, wideouts. You know, Calvin Ridley will join this pool. Can they grab a, you know, either bring back Evan Engram and get one more better year out of him or dive big into the tight end pool and dive big into some uh, coverage linebackers. And uh, maybe they're the favorites now. Perennial favorites in the AFC South going forward. The five seed. The LA Chargers. One of my favorite rosters. I say this often. This I actually meant it this time. <laughs> this was one of my favorite rosters. I like the contract for Derwin James. I love the contract for Mike Williams. The JC Jackson free agent deal was an overpay, even if he was healthy, even if he played well. Neither of those things happened. So obviously they're going to have to get something better out of that next year. And that is certainly one of the future storylines. But in season wise, I thought, I thought the coaching was light years better this year, just a little bit more reserved, a little bit more professional and poised. And Justin Herbert was absolutely rolling the first six weeks before that rib injury, before he got popped. And you could tell that A, there was significant pain and B, that this was not going to go away. There's a pretty darn good chance he is still dealing with significant pain in his midsection right now and that whether it's time or some some kind of off-season procedure he's going to need some recovery but when he's healthy when he's 110 percent i'm not sure there's a more talented player in the game right now all in all incumbency obviously mahomes does what he does and there's intangibles involved but this guy is as good as advertised coming out of out of college and and into a situation that has made him very very successful and oh by the way he is extension eligible, along with Burrow, along with Hertz, along with Tua. So that is obviously, I don't even know why you would wait. Don't screw around with this one. And whatever he's looking for, you probably just have to bite down and agree to it and, and, and win some concessions structure-wise because uh, he is clearly at the top, in, in the top tier right now and only going to get better, like I said, as the health improves as the experience improves and as this roster sort of falls into itself, because I do think this is a ready-made roster. They acquired Khalil Mack that worked well. And uh, look, when he had to be the only guy in the room, he's not Khalil Mack anymore, but when him and Bosa are together, this is a very successful situation on the line in the secondary and certainly on the offensive side of the ball. So five seed this year, very interested to see where this ends up next year, because I do think this is a team that can push way forward very quickly. Baltimore survives with the sixth seed here. Um, somehow they, uh, you know, they, they basically kind of fall into this postseason without Lamar. Remains to be seen if he'll be available for that Bengals wild, wild card game. We'll see. Um, they were 20th in cash payroll. They have 81 million of cap space next year. Don't let that fool you. <laughs> right? Um, Lamar's exclusive franchise tag is probably going to cost between 43 and $45 million. That's cash and cap. And the second they offer it to him, they have to take that $45 million on their books. So right away, 60% of that cap space is gone. 
just to secure Lamar and, and, and make sure that nobody else puts an offer sheet out of him. That's step one. That's obviously the big storyline. Um, if we go back to last offseason, what were those storylines? Well, you, probably, you definitely remember Lamar because everybody in the world, myself included, talked about it every single week, the fact that there were offers. He was turning them down. He had no agent. His mother was helping him. He was publicly basically letting us in on the negotiations and the lack of guarantees. And then Kyler Murray got, got signed and Lamar freaked out even more. And it was a very dramatic nothing for Lamar Jackson this offseason. And that really is the storyline. Nothing. He played on the fifth-year option. He's a pending free agent. Some sort of tag is coming. And that's all we know so far. I'll get to the future thing in a second. Two other things that happened. Justin Tucker got $17.5 million guaranteed. That's notable. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's something that we, we're just going to forget about. But having watched him now all season, again, every year, this guy's already in the Hall of Fame. That's a hell of a lot to guarantee to a kicker. So that happened. Um, they pumped in big signings and big, and big acquisitions to their secondary, both by the draft and by, by free agency, Marcus Williams, Kyle Hampton, et cetera. That didn't really pan out. Now, it may now. This is the time of year for defense. But it really was up and down most of the regular season. And then they traded Hollywood Brown. They're, I think they're clear-cut number one wide receiver. They traded him dur during the draft to Arizona for that first-round pick. And they continue to, to operate without a true, absolute, dead-set number one option. Yes, Mark Andrews can be that. Yes, Devin, you know, Deverna can be that. Yes, Bateman has shown signs, but none of these guys are built physically to be able to stay healthy. They're just not. And at some point in time, they're going to have to change this mindset. They're going to have to go after, acquire, draft, whatever, a bona fide viable number one option and just force Lamar Jackson or whoever's playing quarterback to adjust their offensive schemes to make it work because you can't continue to do this. This is like punching the wall and going back and punching it 11 more times. There's a reason that these injuries continue to happen, and that's obviously the major in-season storyline, and it's their annual storyline, similar to the Chargers, not so much for the, for the Chargers this season. But how many times can you enter week 10 and have a half-depleted roster? the fifth running back and the sixth wide receiver. I feel like this is all we talk about every offseason with Baltimore. What, what would have happened if everybody was healthy? And obviously now Lamar's in that conversation this year. It has been a couple of years here in the first five seasons. If this is the result, if yes, you can see the success and you can see just what that ceiling could be in those little pockets where all this things, everything's healthy and everything's clicking on all cylinders. If you can see it, but you can't maintain it, and, and this league is only getting longer, <laughs> let's be perfectly frank. We're at 18 weeks now. We're not done. We're going to at least 19 weeks, 18 games very soon, like maybe next year. This is a durability situation now. It always was. It's becoming even more of that now as this league lengthens, as Thursday night games continue, as they push for Black Friday games, etc. If it's If this is the continue to be the result, for Baltimore with this quarterback or with this game plan or with this offensive structure or with this build roster construction, which is really where I'm trying to attack here. You have to change. 
you have to adjust. You have to be flexible because it's not working. You need something. You need a system in place with at least 85% of your troops available for 18 weeks. And Baltimore is not even close to that. They haven't been for years. So I expect changes. And the future storyline for me is this. Is the change Lamar? We talked about the tag. We talked about what that's going to do to their cap immediately next year. We know how back and forth the negotiations have been with, the, with that multi-year contract. And, by, and guess what? If Lamar doesn't say yes by April 1st, Justin Herbert and Joe Burrow might be at $50 million a year, might be at $150 million guaranteed. This thing's only going to skyrocket. And I didn't even talk about Jalen Hurts, who certainly is going to be in this kind of conversation. It's going to ramp up even more. And the players that Lamar feels he's at least on par with are going to ramp up even more. So Baltimore may be heading down a road that they cannot drive down. Plain and simple. Whether they have standards that they won't go go past or, or simply whether they believe what I just said out loud, which is this guy limits us in our roster construction and paying him 125 to 175 million guaranteed, which is, you know, Josh Allen and Kyler Murray's own is just reckless. And if they believe that, then they can make it somebody else's problem. And they can tag them and they can trade them for a whole bunch of draft compensation and a couple of players and whatever they want at that point in time. It's a real option. It's not just a hot take. It's not me prepping myself for a, a head on get up. This is a real deal. Okay. Because of what I said, because of how I built this up. This isn't just me saying, well, you know, you know, you should never pay Lamar. I think Lamar should be paid. I'm not sure this is the right organization for him to do that anymore. Two years ago, 100%. When he became extension eligible, absolutely. He was at the peak of his game, and there was, an, there was some injury concern. But uh, Baltimore held out, and I think it is too far past that now. And we've now seen too much of what I just mentioned to continue this thing and to actually put that contract in front of him that he's that he seeks. So let the Falcons do it. Let the Panthers do it. Let a team that might not have the best draft situation right now, but absolutely needs a QB1 that they can rely on immediately. Not in a couple of years, right now. That's what Lamar is. Let him do it. I think it's possible. I'm not going to say it's likely. I'm not going to put it over 50%. I just want to put it in the conversation because I think it's a real, real possibility of this offseason. And boy, would there be fireworks. The seven seed goes to the Miami Dolphins who sneak in despite Tua's issues. Will he be available? I have absolutely no answers for you. Um, but I know this. Uh, the Bills would much rather see Skylar Thompson out there. Let's put it that way. It's a Bills-Dolphins matchup to start this thing, the two-seven seed. The Dolphins were 10th in payroll. Uh, they weren't before the start of free agency, and they uh, they did this to themselves. They went all in. They went all in this free agency with massive, massive contracts, a trade and sign for Tyreek Hill, an in-season trade and sign for Bradley Chubb, who you know faced his own demons a little bit there. But there's not much else to talk about but Tua. And even if he's back, and even if he has, even if they beat Buffalo and, and do their thing. We've already seen flashes of Tua that have been really great. You know, he's certainly an above-average player. But three concussions in one season, I, I don't have the, the science in me 
to give you an honest answer about what that actually means. All I know is um, this is not something the league wants, nor should a player want, nor should a family want, nor should anybody close to him want, certainly. And at some point in time, there's going to be a lot of very smart people looking at him in the face and saying, you got to stop this. You can't do this anymore. It's just too dangerous. And I don't know when that's going to be, but I know it probably means you shouldn't give him 150 million guaranteed this offseason. Let's start there. And that's all I can speak to. There's enough obviously obvious red flags now out there to not jump at a fourth year extension. That's all I know. I may be dead wrong. I'm not in that Miami Dolphins front office. But I think, and this is the future storyline I have written down here, I think it's much more likely that they bring in a vet. Is it Brady? I don't know. Is it Derek Carr? I don't know. But I'm not talking about somebody on a five-year, $200 million contract. What I'm talking about is somebody in the room, and maybe it's Baker. Maybe that's the best example I can think of off the top of my head. Maybe it's Baker to be the guy that he is right now for the Rams, which is you might not win this job. Because if two is healthy and he's 100% and all systems are go, he's obviously our guy. You know, we know he's our guy. But we can't have any old backup because of his situation and because of what this roster looks like and how much we've spent on this roster now over the past 12 months. So I expect them to be aggressive at the quarterback position, just not with Tua yet. That's all. And uh, we'll see where that gets them. And obviously, we'll see what happens over the next couple of weeks with this roster because this roster was good enough to beat Buffalo to start the year. They were good enough to beat Buffalo in that snowball game. And I was there in person to watch it. They were good enough. They held their own. And uh, and Tua, you could tell, was off a little bit there. And that was kind of the start of this last iteration. But when he's healthy, this roster is good enough to win a lot of ball games. So, yes, they're the seventh seed. And uh, a lot of that has to do with the injuries of Tua. And that's going to carry into the offseason, no matter what happens here. That's going to carry into the offseason because when you start talking about $200 million, you've got to bring everything in front of you. And obviously his health is going to be at the front of those conversations. So that's your AFC. I will, uh, I will do this with the NFC for our next episode. And obviously anything that comes up here with Tua or with Lamar, with any of these other situations, Mike Williams was injured today. That could be a very big, big, big storyline for their this first-round matchup. And uh, obviously anything else AFC-related, I'll bring it up in the next episode, but we'll focus solely on the NFC and those seven teams in the same fashion in the next edition of the Spot Trade Podcast. All right, a little baseball, because obviously it's you know rounding into form a little bit now. Free agency has been... Ooh, Two months deep? Yeah, almost exactly two months deep here. Not the best list of best available players, but a list. And uh, always good to check in and see where we stand there as we are just about six weeks away from, well, it's about four weeks away from pitchers and catchers report and about six weeks from those first post preseason games. So let's, uh, let's see where we're at here. Just quickly off the top. You know, the pitchers go quickly. You know how that works. We're down to Johnny Cueto, who if you, if you don't follow the game closely... That sounds like somebody who played forever ago and probably still shouldn't be playing, except for he had a phenomenal 2022 season. So uh, he's still actually a pretty good get for a team looking for a, a three, four, five pitcher that's certainly on the backside of his career, but showed real, real comeback. You know, I think Martin Perez type situation, just a little bit older. Um, there's a bunch of teams 
that could still use this. I'd put the Angels at the top of this list. I still think the Blue Jays have another pitcher to add. And then you start getting into some of those bad teams who could overpay to bring him in, right? The Marlins and Cincinnati and things like that. But that's the top of the list for sure. Um, if we start looking at the catcher position, which also went pretty quickly here. And by the way, a couple of trades, maybe a couple more to happen still. <clears throat> Gary Sanchez, again, a player who was sort of exiled off the Yankees roster, had a pretty solid year with the Minnesota Twins. Now he had a lot of help around him. So if he goes to a bad roster, he could revert back to some really bad habits, especially defensively. But, you know, teams looking to platoon a little bit. Maybe they've got an older catcher and they just need to get things sort of figured out here. He's going to hit his home runs. And there's no question about that. And uh, he's still young. So there's time for him to improve. I don't think he's ever going to be batting 250 in this league, but certainly possible that somebody can fix him in that regard. I'd put Boston for a lot of reasons, but I'd put Boston at the top of this list for Gary Sanchez, but we'll see where that ends up in the next couple of weeks. First base is Trey Mancini, uh, the former longtime Baltimore Oriole who went to the Houston Astros for their stretch run. Didn't make a huge impact in Houston. I still think there's a chance they could bring him back just as depth even though they certainly addressed the issue with Jose Abreu. Um, I still think there's a chance Baltimore brings him back because they're going to start to push a little bit here. And you need those kind of players, especially if they're not expensive. Certainly there's a connection to the fan base. Certainly there's a connection to the front office. And it's a need. It's a need that that organization has. So I'm not going to rule that out by any degree. But um, he sits around for a little bit longer here. He's going to find himself a couple of offers, which is probably not at the price range he's looking for. Second base, there's a few. I think there's a few trade acquisitions more than anything, but Josh Harrison seems to be the name out there. There's a, one of those you know savvy vets who's never going to th throw a stat line up there that really impresses you too much, but he's just rock solid. You know, Tons of defensive uh, metrics in his favor, especially at his experienced age, 35 years old. He's, uh, he's going to be a guy you want to keep on your bench and then bring in to replace an injured player or to move around on days off and things like that. You can kind of move around the field a little bit as well. So just your typical utility, you know, mid thirties player who's done it for a long time and probably winds up on a middle of the road team now and a contender come August. It's just exactly what he's, what he's built for right now. I'd say the exact same thing about Elvis Andrews, who's my shortstop selection. Obviously the big shortstops have come and gone as long as we're including Carlos Correa as a Met. And it's not fair to say that. So I should say that Carlos Correa is still available. He has not signed a contract. The medical situation is still going down. The Twins are getting back in the conversation reportedly, even though the Mets still have the upper hand. So that one's still hanging out there. But Andrews, look, a lot of years in Texas, he, a cup of coffee in uh, Oakland on a minimum salary because he got bought out of Texas. He's going to be a near minimum guy right now. He's, gonna, he's a complete utility player. Not super, super old. He's 34 now. He's had home runs. He had 17 home runs last year on a bad lineup. So you throw him on a team that, you know, maybe has some injury history at their shortstop position. Maybe he needs to move around some middle infielders a little bit. Um, why not the Yankees? I, mean, I, think, I still think there's a trade with the Yankees, maybe a couple of trades with the Yankees to shore up the outfield and to properly prepare themselves for this these really two shortstop prospects set to come up in the next, I don't know, six to 18 months, I guess is probably the right approach. But until then, they have to backfill this thing because they are pot invested and they need to win their, their division and get into the postseason again. It's not like they can sit back. So a player like this who might really thrive in Yankee Stadium 
probably makes sense on a one-year deal. Third base, Brian Anderson, a guy I've seen quite a bit in Miami <laughs> over, over my years as a Mets fan. This guy can really play ball. And uh, he had a really weirdly terrible season last year. And I don't know what to put with that. I, I don't know if there was a rift with, with Don Mattingly. I don't know if there was a rift with the, with the organization. But it just was a extremely uncharacteristic season for, for a guy I've seen be so consistent over the years. So I'm shocked he hasn't found a home yet. I feel like there's too many people putting last year as his top resume, and it shouldn't be. There's a lot more to this player. Uh, similar to Josh Harrison. He's not that old. He's 29. You certainly saw the decline. But is it real? Is it really on the way down, all the way down? Or can a good, strong lineup actually resuscitate him and bring him back to a situation where he can be competitive again? I understand him not being signed to anything multi-year, to anything significant. You're going to have to do a showcase to get yourself back in good favor. But that's exactly what this time of year is for. So it's coming for that player. I've seen too many good things from that guy. Here's a big name. Uh, Jerson Profar was a, a major factor for the Padres last year and then tailed off. And there were some injuries and yada, yada. He's 29 going on 30. Uh, he can play infield. He can play outfield. He was at one time a, a starting shortstop, a starting second baseman. He's played left field and right field for the Padres last year. So tons of value defensively. There's a, there's a lot to be had here. He, he's, a, he's probably the last position player worth $15 million a year. Now, I don't think he gets that in the middle of January when most of the players have already rolled off. But that's the kind of value this guy can have. I mean, this is a 250 hitter. This is a 700. This is, you know, an OPS guy that could be in the 800s. This is a 25 home run player in the right situation. So somebody who needs that utility player and is willing to pay a little bit more than what January usually costs, they're going to get a real player here as long as he can recreate what he's done the past year and a half or so. And our DH is the napper, 42-year-old Nelson Cruz, who uh, wasn't traded from the Washington Nationals last year, only hit 10 home runs, you know, pretty much career lows across the board last year. You thought he was going to be done. He wants to keep playing. And this is one of those situations where maybe he doesn't get signed by opening day. You know, maybe the teams want to see what they have before they throw a couple million dollars at this guy. Very, very possible that's the case. And... Uh, the fact that he wants to come back for season 19th is great. He certainly earned it with really three separate careers in those 19 years. And he's going to be somewhat valuable for a team that just needs a couple of home runs. You know, everybody knows what they lack come April. And there'll be a few teams out there that look around their roster and say, where are we going to get the ball out of the ballpark? And if you're one of those teams, this is exactly that guy you want. And by the way, Heading back to Seattle, not the worst idea in the world at all. Not at all, especially the team that probably missed out on a few free agents they were hoping for. May have a couple of those metrics a little bit lower than they want to start to start the year. And uh, why not re reunite with a guy who, you know, it worked out very, very well for a long time. So I put that one as a marriage possible to be happening come, I don't know, middle of April. Let's say it gets into past opening day for that one. We'll keep up with all these signings. I think it's. Uh, I think we're ro rounding back into trade season in Major League Baseball. Some of these contenders, right? I mean, when the Mets get it done with Correa, and I still expect that to happen, 
Eduardo Escobar is going to be on the trade block. He will have suitors. That's the third baseman teams want. There's two years left in that contract, one plus an option. Um, he will have suitors. I believe the Blue Jays have a trade made, another trade made. I have. I I told you about the Yankees. I think there's one or two there, and uh, we've got a, a whole list on SpotTrack.com right now that's pretty much intact. So 12 to 15 names that uh, I think still are at least candidates to move. Probably not the big big dogs, right? I don't think Otani's moving this time of year. We talked about Devers, yeah, locking in with Boston. That was the big trade ship that could happen. And uh, we're going to talk to somebody close to that Rafael Devers contract soon in the next couple of days. So we'll, uh, we'll have way more information on how that got done, what it looks like, what the structure of that deal is, and what it means for that Boston organization going forward as well. That's coming up uh, probably in an episode or two here on the Spotlight Podcast. But we're not just moving on from that deal because I think it's got some ramifications not only to Boston but in the uh, American League East as a whole. So... Plenty more coming. I appreciate your time, and uh, obviously we'll keep up with this Major League Baseball stuff as it happens as we roll towards February. Subscribe to the newsletter. Visit SpotTrack.com. You'll be prompted to enter your email address. We send them out about twice a week, every Tuesday, every Friday. All the stuff you probably heard about and a few things we hope you haven't yet. It's, uh, it's a financial recap twice a week with all the stuff we tweet about, we write about, we talk about on here in more detail with uh, links to read Big-time articles from myself, from Keith Smith, things like that, and plenty, plenty more. Subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your podcasts. We appreciate that. Approaching our 500th episode of the Spotrate Podcast. And visit Spotrate.com for all of these articles, small, long, researched, off the top of our heads, and plenty more. Plenty more coming soon. Next in the docket for me is the wide receiver analysis for the NFL offseason. Not as glamorous as this last year, but still plenty to talk about, especially with some of those notable teams like Green Bay and Dallas and Baltimore. So that's next coming on SpotTrack.com. For Scott Allen, my name is Mike Gennetti. Thanks for listening to this edition of the SpotTrack Podcast. 